0: Hello and welcome to Grace Church Vienna. If you have been following us for the past few months, you might know that one of our current preaching series concentrates about the Book of Acts. As we have Hans-Georg Hopprich with us this week, he will take us through chapter 13, where we learn more about possible attacks and difficulties in our lives and faith and how to deal with them in a godly way. So let's listen to Hans Georg preaching about when the going gets rough. joy to meet again this uh, morning. It has been a couple of weeks ago that uh, we were with you, so we were overjoyed to meet uh, you folks, uh, our dear brothers and sisters again, and uh, we are longing to uh, listen to the voice of the Good Shepherd, of the God who loves us. And uh, we do need um, lots of directions, and um, there is a verse in the the Bible. I'm not going to talk about this verse, but uh, it spoke to me uh, lately. That is in 2 Thessalonians um, uh, 3, verse 5, where Paul puts a blessing upon uh, the people, those Christians in Thessalonica, Saying, may the Lord bring you into an ever deeper understanding of the love of God and of the patience that comes from Christ. Um, and there's a word in um, in the Greek original language that is uh, used uh, uh, that we use in well nearly in daily life. Uh, that is a compass. You know, a compass that directs us, that shows us a way, that is used uh, on ships. And uh, if we get uh, lost somewhere and we have a compass, we always know where north is. And that's a similar word that is used here. We need calibration. We need directions from the Lord that he guides us, that he helps us, that he strengthens us, that he gives us the joy that is needed, joy unspeakable. That is the kind of joy Paul is talking ever so often, joy that is uh, getting us through um, even when the going gets rough. And that's uh, the kind of headline uh, I've put on uh, these, uh, this sermon this uh, morning. Uh, And we look um, at Acts chapter 13. We've uh, looked at Acts chapter 13 previously, a couple of weeks ago, when the first missionaries were uh, sent out from the church in Antioch, um, and now they hit the road uh, and uh, they went out to the first missionary uh, outreach, and that's when... The going gets rough, uh, indeed. Because so often we, we think, when we become when we become Christians, uh, we often think these hard times will be over. Did you think the Christian life would be a kind of spiritual Disneyland? where worries are checked at the gate and the world is kind of clean and, and and pure and and happy the truth is life often gets rougher indeed when we become christians today uh, all over the world um you know, we do think in many churches they think about people that are persecuted, Christians that are persecuted. in fact, we are privileged here in Austria we can get together whenever we like. there are no restrictions uh, usually uh, we can get together but the major, Major Christians in, in, in the world are persecuted because they believe in Christ. They follow in the footsteps of Christ, and this is why they are persecuted. So, um, oftentimes it's just the opposite. It's not a smooth journey, but, um, it's a uh, rough. It gets rougher. We feel New tensions. Just look back into your own life. And I think it's good to look back uh, ever so often to when you started and why you started. Why did you become a Christian? And um, and then, of course, the first... Um, uh, weeks or so you were just lifted up and you're overjoyed the Lord forgave you he gave you new life he gave you a perspective of heaven of the kingdom of heaven and looking forward to what is due to come we begin to see truths especially about ourselves and this can make us Kind of uncomfortable. Now the frail bubble of idealism won't last long. Amount uh, among realities, inevitable pin breaks. We begin to see the truth. So then, how can we prepared to handle such? Difficulties. Are we ever prepared? Things come suddenly and we think we may not prepared. It, but it's so good that we can calibrate our Christian life, that we have a compass that leads us through. And with the help of God, He can guide and, and strengthen us. Now, the answer is not a swing to the other extreme. And um, as the road gets rough, we may become even a pessimist. Our, cru- our creed should not be really Murphy's Law saying, if anything can go wrong, it will. Or, well... Uh, we see that uh, happening too often. Smile. Um, Tomorrow will be worse. Well, this approach to life may lower our expectations, but it also saps our joy. Instead, I think it is better to be realist. As a as a, as a child of God, do not think it's strange concerning the fiery trial that tries you as tough some strange things has happened. Rejoice! Rejoice! For indeed, it is a, a sheer sign, a sure sign that you are... On the right track. If in an unknown country I'm informed that I must pass through a valley where the sun is hidden or a stony um, bit of road to reach my abiding place, when I come to it, each moment of shadow or jolt of carriage tells me that I am on the right road. So when I as a child of God pass through affliction, I should not be surprised. Now as we look in uh, to this story of this morning, Saul, who in our passage was then called, Paul was that kind of realist. John Markey's young assistant, however, was more of the kind of uh, dreamy idolist. So let us join these uh, two co workers this morning together with their companion Barnabas and find out what happened when they encountered shadows and jolts on their first missionary journey. Well, indeed, there was a good, a great beginning, a good beginning. What a joy they had when they took off uh, from their ascending church from Antioch. No one at that time, at least, no one had been on, a, on this kind of, of missionary tri- trip like this before. No one. It was a first of its kind. No, there were no books or diaries written on previous missionaries. There wasn't any training as we enjoyed in England uh, at All Nations Christian College. No missionary training, nothing. Um, No seminars on how to evangelize cross culturally. What to the food? (laughs) To the food tastes. uh, Art. And people behave rather strange and differently. When we were in England, uh, studying in England, um, our English brothers and sisters, they always called us non-diplomatic. We are outspoken too loud always, you know, as uh, uh, Germans are, I'm afraid. That's how we... You know that's how we think. Um, so non-diplomatic, blunt. You know, straightforward, forward. Sometimes, uh, kind of cutting things into pieces, sharp. Whether our thinking is sharp—that's another question, of course. Um, these anyway, these three brave missionaries could only imagine what would await them. So they. Dreamed. I mean, that that brings me back to when we first went to to Papua New Guinea uh, in 1985. We were dreaming. You we had great dreams of what is happening when we present people with the gospel. We dreamed of people repre- uh, repenting. Um, and doing evangelism and churches blossoming wherever we, we thought to go, wherever maybe, uh, they, the three of them spoke about the Lord Jesus. Can you imagine the kind of excitement they were in, and I think it's this is needed before you start, because when you don't have that excitement, you will never hit the road anyway. Filled with hope, they began their journey with great anticipation. The Holy Spirit had uh, personally selected Barnabas' and Saul. They then had decided to bring along John Mark as their companion. The church in Antioch uh, supported the men, laying hands uh, hands on them, sending them out with their prayers. They prayed two times. They fasted They prayed again, put hands on them, and they were sent off. That's the kind of uh, thing I really love, you know, in uh, sending people out into this world. And where there may be a church around that is today sending people. This is, you know, the kind of thing that um, is the greatest opportunity of any church of Sending, because God sent his son, so he wants to send his people, and that's exactly what happened in Antioch. There, uh, when, uh, Paul and, and, and Barnabas were sent out, or Saul and, and, and Barnabas went out, the church in Antioch, they supported these men, and, um, and they sent them out, as you usually do, with a host of 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 good wishes. They also had something even more uh, important than uh, the church support. They had indeed God's blessing. In Acts 13, uh, verse 4, it says, So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them And sent them off. Wow. What an excitement. What confidence and confidence this must have brought them. Because they knew there was a a whole church backing them up. Standing with them. Going with them. Praying for them. Why they could conquer the world for Christ. Somebody once gave a interesting glimpse on this kind of incredible excitement saying once a man is satisfied that he is in the center of God's plan, and God is working out his will through him, that man is indeed invincible. Because he knows he's in the very center of God's will. With God on their side, they could not lose. So they went to the port of Cilicia, uh, bought their... Tickets and boarded the ship. It may have been like that, you know. It's just kind of my personal imagination because... That's what we did uh, while in Papua New Guinea. That's what we did when we still visit co-workers all around the globe. That's how you initiate. Of course, you don't uh, buy a ticket nowadays. You know, you just go into the Internet, you know, and plan and uh, look where, of course, we are not millionaires, so we look where, you know, the cheapest price of uh, any kind of ticket. But I can imagine, you know, in these days, that's, uh, how they did. So in Acts 13, verse 4b, it says, the two of them sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. And uh, our American friends would say, you know, uh, uh, things were going great, great. Marvelous, terrific, feeling unsinkable. They sailed smoothly to the island of Cyprus. In many ways, Cyprus was an a unique island. Being um, a native, Barnabas knew Cyprus well. Cyprus means copper a name given the island because of the rich copper deposits it was sometimes also called had a very special name macaria which means the happy isle yes cyprus was held that its climate was climate was kind of perfect and its resources so varied that man might find everything necessary for a happy life within these boundaries of this great island. Cyprus was possibly, and that came to my mind, we do care for some folks in Mauritius. Uh, So I would like to uh, call it Cyprus was the Mauritius of the first century. Of course, uh, Mauritius wasn't known at that time, but uh, now we have a kind of a a great imagination how uh, living on an island should really be enjoying and, you know, white sand and beautiful sunshine, uh, never-ending sunshine, you know, and enjoying yourself um, and so on. Really um, not too bad, isn't it? Not a bad place to visit for a mission trip. You know, some of our uh, leaders, when uh, we send out short terms for nearly 20 years from from Austria, some of uh, uh, the church leaders they said you know they're only going out you know because they want to enjoy a different country um, uh, a nice resort different people and then they come back and sit down again well I wouldn't think like that because now the the story unfolds here in Cyprus certainly it's Charisma must have impressed young John Mark when the men disembarked at Salamis, uh, the largest city on the island. And once there Acts thirteen five says they began. What a great mission they were on. They began to proclaim the word of God. Uh, That's how they usually start, and we read that again and again in the New Testament. In all these mission journeys, um, we can read the Word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. But for all their trying, and they had a lot of patience, for all their trying, there was no record of any spiritual success whatsoever in this large Jewish community. Their heart searching question was what in the world could be wrong? And we really appreciate that kind of question because uh look looking after so many missionaries you know in in kind of a, what I would call dry places they often have this heart searching question um you know what in the world do i get do, is wrong is there something wrong with me or is there something wrong in my in my approach or uh, are we t- a team out of place you know where do we go from here what in the world could be wrong. Maybe they should try evangelizing in the rural areas, as many of our co-workers did in our beautiful country of Austria. You know, they started in the cities. They went into the rural areas. But my word, my word, as we would really say, you know, nothing much, was happening. Nothing much. So Acts 13.6 mentions that they really went from one end to the other end of, of the island. That they went through the whole island. Acts 13.6 says. And as devastating it was. Still. Not a single convert is recorded nothing happening can you imagine nothing happening at least with the their eyes open they could not see something happening spiritual no spiritual awakening in fact there was spiritual darkness in cyprus uh, was uh, opposing all their efforts Through the century, the island had been ruled by the Egyptians, by the Phoenicians, the Assyrians, the Persians, the Greek, and the Roman. You had a lot. All of them, they brought their influence on that island. And under the hand of this nation, uh, a pagan religion, religious system developed. It centered around occultic magic and the the licentious worship of a female deity, Aphrodite, to the Greek, and and, um, Venus to the Romans. Consequently, Cyprus was really a demon's playground. What a Difficult experience. We were called just recently to a lady. She is uh, married to somebody from South America and uh, and her husband got drunken and uh, sat in front of the door and he had a kind of demonic uh, fit. And there was one short moment where he... Uh, Slipped out of it and he said, don't let me in. He was the husband, but he said to his wife, don't let me in. And then he went back and he uh, shouted, made strange noises that even the neighbors got afraid because of that. They know him when he's clear, you know, when he's uh, functioning as a, excuse me, the expression as a normal human. But here he was possessed, taken over by a demonic power. What a difficult experience. So this lady asked us, you know, that's nowadays, that's today, just a couple of weeks ago when we met her, you know, please pray. Pray. And and that's a difficult experience that must have been to these passionate um, three men of God. The by now disillusioned missionaries openly encountered these demonic powers when they arrived in Paphos, the capital city. There was the opposition of Elimus. And in Acts 13, 6-8, we read, they found a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet whose name was Bar-Jesus, who was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence? This man summoned Barnabas and Paul and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas the magician, for thus his name is translated, was opposing them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. A proconsul at that time was a, was a, a governor of a Roman province. Now, gaining an audience with a proconsul was kind of a, I mean, having gone through all these difficulties, it was a kind of a, a as I would call it, a significant breakthrough for the gospel. The Holy Spirit was working on this man's heart. But at the same time, and we need to realize that ever so often, when we do God's work, when we build his kingdom, Satan is building his kingdom next. We need to realize that. Satan was working, too, through Bar-Jesus, who was also called Elimus. Elimus means the skillful one, and the root of Bar-Jesus means son of salvation. I think, wow, what an, I mean, it hits me kind of (laughs) bluntly, you know, what an, enormous title, don't you think so either? <laughs> what an enormous title. Sergius Paulus kept kept his, this powerful false prophet close by to forecast the future anti cipher omens. Roman rulers no matter how intelligent they were, they often we're quite superstitious. Elimas was profiting from this kind of human weakness, which is why he was so threatened, so threatened by Saul's message. And that's exactly what's happening. And we experience that numerous times when the gospel is preached and in the name of Jesus, there's opposition. And we need to realize it and know that. If Sergius Paulus converted to Christianity, it would spell the end of his own, of his own fame and power. So Elymas stood against these. Dear missionary, aggressively opposing them at every turn, trying his best to make his darkness overcome the light of Christ. It was high time for Paul, for Saul. Paul, he was uh, still Saul. Uh, it was high time for The confrontation by Saul. And he did not back down. He was a realist. He faced this problem head on. And in the following verses we also see that Saul's name changed to Paul. It changes from a Hebrew name to a Gentile name. This change identifies him with the apostle to the Gentiles and signified his new role as a leader. Thus, in uh, Acts uh, no, thirteen nine to ten, part of. Uh, The passage we are going through, it reads, Saul, who was also known as Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, fixed his gaze upon him and said, You, who are full of deceit and fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease to make crooked the straight ways of the Lord? Wow. He did not back up. He did not give in. He looked into Satan's eyes. Straight forward. He wasn't afraid. Like David. On the battlefield. With Goliath. Paul called Elimas An enemy of the Lord. And let his stone fly. Sure enough, Acts thirteen eleven reads, and now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and not see the sun for a time. And immediately a mist and a darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking those who would lead him uh, by the hand. Immediately. We see as this breakthrough comes, we see the salvation of Paulus immediately. What a breakthrough. You know, this is the power of the gospel. This is what happens when Jesus is proclaimed. God blinded the magician because he refused to see the truth. But he, the broken soul longed um he his heart was wide open for the truth so so God opened his eyes, he shut the eyes as it were to one, but he opened the eyes to another one and acts thirteen twelve reads the broken soul believed when he saw what had happened, being amazed at the teaching of the Lord. The miracle impressed him, but the gospel amazed him. The miracle served to distinguish the false from the true prophet, but it was the gospel message that sparked off new life in his spirit as he surrendered himself to Christ. The broken soul's conversion filled the missionaries drooping sails with encouragement as they left Sergius Paulus and the, the island of Cyprus for Pamphylia. And the story goes on. We now see something devastating. Something happens um, a returned missionary. Looking forward to smooth sailing from here on, they were surprised to the encounter such severe problems that one of them packed up and returned home. And Acts 13, uh, verse 13 reads, Now Paul and his companions put out to sea from Paphos and came to Perge in Pamphylia and John left them and returned to Jerusalem. Wow. It must have been heart-searching, sad to put your hand And say goodbye. Can you imagine? Luke records the incident really quite brief. But from his words, pieces together at, at a personal theory concerning why John Mark suddenly left for Jerusalem. And you may call it a little speculation, but I've been in the business for many years, so I can really imagine this happening. First, notice Luke says, Paul and his companions. Until now, it had been Barnabas and Saul. Apparently, after his confrontation with Elimus, Paul had taken the lead. Can you see the change? First of all, the lead was taken by Barnabas and suddenly there was um, an exchange of leader. And then this happens. This shift might might have um, confused and eventually troubled John Mark who was a, a cousin of Barnabas John Mark was also the son of Mary who owned the house where the meeting was held to pray for Peter's freedom in Act 12. Also, Pamphylia was a kind of a... I don't know how to call it. Maybe you can call it a malicious uh, region. The coastal area around Perjua was rife with disease, including malaria. It is possibly hear that Paul suffered an ailment. He later referred in Galatians four thirteen writing, but you know that it was because of a bodily illness that I preached the gospel to you the first time. Some kind of illness. Some interpreter identify Paul's illness as malaria, and I know what malaria is. I had it several times in my life, malaria, as we served in Papua New Guinea. And, and they associated with his thorn in the flesh, he talks about in 2 Corinthians 12. The oldest tradition is that Paul suffered from an incredible, terrible headaches. And the most likely explanation is that he was the victim of a severe recurring malaria fever which haunted the low coastal strip of Asia Minor. A traveler says that the headache characteristic of this malaria, this specific malaria, because you have a whole variety of malaria, uh, was like a red hot Bar thrust through the forehead. Just so you can imagine. He was really knocked out. Well, we don't really know what bodily illness forced Paul inland farther uh, into Galatia. If he had contracted malaria and purger, that would have been ample motivation to escape the lowlands to recover in these cooler mountain regions. That was often done in mission history. I know that from the Gold Coast in, in Ghana when the first missionaries arrived. I mean, they sailed off. Um, with, uh, I think, 13 co workers sailed off to the Gold Coast, and there were only three left when they left um, the ship again on the Gold Coast. And two, after one year, two died, and there was only one left. And of course, because of malaria, malaria wasn't known then, they went up uh, the hill in the um, back lands of what is uh, today called Accra. Um, the capital of, of Ghana, so cooler mountains. That's where in, in, in Papua New Guinea it was the same, you know. When we uh, spent a holiday, uh, we left the coastline, which kind of was devastating. It didn't really fit to our skin, I'm honest to you. We've lived there for 10 years, so I know. It just took away all our strength, and every year we went up to the cooler area, mainland Papua New Guinea, to the highlands, um, just above um, 2,000 meter high or so, and we enjoyed it thoroughly four weeks, you know, without sweating. Any, I appreciate this, you know, possibly had happened to Paul um, as well. Perhaps that is why he decided that he would... Um, heed into great Taurus mountain range and uh, the only way was a road uh, notorious for danger from thieves all this undoubtedly added up to the unbearable stress for John Mark the dry response of in salamis and the demonic uh, opposition in Paphos were enough to really deflate him. But when sudden change, disease, and danger met him in Persia, any remaining courage fell into pieces. With his dreams shattered, idealistic John Mark could not handle the hard times. And later in Acts 15, we will talk about this uh, beginning of uh, um, December, when we talk about another headline, uh, w- w- which I call when co-workers clash. Because then we see um, the two big men, so to speak, Paul and Barnabas. They clash because of John Mark, but we'll talk about it beginning of December, God willing. From this, we can come up with some practical steps in finishing. This story prepares us for those rough times in two ways. First, it teaches us that there is no accomplishment without the determination. There is no accomplishment without determination. Whenever we are tempted to quit before the final bell, whether it's finishing school, completing a job, or riding out rough seas in in, um, family life, we won't achieve God's Purpose without determining to persevere. As a kind of a side effect to no accomplishment without determination, this story also reminds us that there is no burden too heavy for Christ to carry. No burden too heavy for Christ to carry no matter how determined you may be in the Taurus mountains in your life may still overwhelm you at these times i my brothers and sisters i i plead with you and urge you do not quit You may find yourself in a similar kind of situation right now, but I plead with you, do not quit. Rather, by faith, give your burden over to the one who faced his own mountain, Mount Calvary. He bore the cross. It's the Lord Jesus. He can bear your fears as well. And I want to encourage you again and again to come to the Lord God Almighty. He bears with you. Anyway, can you imagine the intensity of John Mark's emotions? Fear, shame, and guilt must have crushed his spirit Fortunately, though, his story does not end in failure. What an encouragement. Barnabas takes him on another missionary trip to Cyprus. We read about it, you know, when the co-workers cra- uh, clash um, in in uh, Acts chapter 15. This is the passage where we are going to look um, uh, in about three weeks' time or so. Later, even... Paul recognizes his value of the cause of Christ saying in 2 Timothy four eleven, it says, pick up John Mark and bring him with you for he is useful f- to me for service. What a great encouragement. It wasn't the last say. Um, he makes a comeback. Maybe you are battling failure right now. If so, my fellow brother and sister. If so, there is hope. Yes, you can face your fears in God's strength like just like John Mark did, like him you can make your own comeback. At the same time, let us look back again when the road become rough. In Pamphylia, why were Paul and Barnabas able to keep going? This is a kind of secret that I want to place before you. What made them going? Maybe it was because they were, they were realistic about the hard times while John Mark was too idolistic. Let us take A moment in closing to contrast these two approaches to coping with difficult circumstances. Let's compare them. There is uh, um, on one side the idealist, on the other side the realist. The idealist things be- believing everything will go smoothly that he focuses on that the realist on the opposite recognizes that problems are normal they are expected part of life there is another aspect the idealist things are he's are not prepared to handle prob- problems because they don't anticipate any. But the realist, uh, the, the, the realists, they can think on their feet because they have already reckoned with the possibility of problems. What a great help that is. The idolists, Uh, get taken by surprise and often feel kind of overwhelmed, you know, ready to sink in. The realist starts making plan to deal with the situation. Can you see the difference? And lastly, can be... I know the the idolist, he can be kind of submarined, um, done in by the situation. The realist, on the other side, cope with the problems and he really tries hard to overcome them. So you can find yourself in between, you can find your personal thoughts in that, are you an idealist? Are you a realist? There are important questions in finishing to ask. How would you characterize your personal approach to life? Do you wear rose-colored glasses that tint everything beautiful and cut out all uh, of life, um, glaring pains and frustrations? Or do you cultivate the insight to accept life as it comes? I want to just um, ask these questions and uh, you can find out where you are. Uh, are you afraid of losing something? Are you equating realism with pessimism? What do you think it is? How can you become more of a, of a realist? And in conclusion, these are questions you need to answer. I can't give you an answer. And it's my prayer that God is dealing with you right where you are. In your situation, in your Cyprus experience, just where you are right now. Remember, wanting to believe the best about people and situation like John Mark did is really admirable. It's something we really want. But that attitude needs to be tempered by the ability to accept The flaws and frustration of reality. So, an approach to life that will keep you going on uh, sometimes rough roads, you will travel. And I want to encourage you this morning. These rough roads, they do come in our lives. We cannot prevent them. But take care. In the one who carries you through, who carried the cross for you. Let's bow in prayer. Lord Jesus, indeed, we come before you and we are grateful that you carried the cross to the end. You did not give in, even though. You cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Lord Jesus, we look upon your cross, we look upon you, the risen Lord. Thank you that you've taken away the power of all devils and mightyful people to show that you are the one who gives The life eternal. Thank you that we can present. That gospel of life. Wherever we go. Even. When we meet. Problems. When we meet. All sorts of people. That are going against us. You are the conqueror. You are. God alive. Thank you that we can commit our lives afresh, calibrated to go forth with the gospel of Christ in our lives and in the lives with others. Thank you that you help us. We are needy. Lord Jesus, we confess we are needy. We do need your strength. We need your encouragement. We need your presence. And we praise you that your love never fails. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your presence. As we meet all our Cyprus experience, help us not to be devastated, not to be discouraged, but look upon you, Jesus, in peace.